Hey everybody, we are live here on a Monday. It is To The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Hope you all had a great weekend. I know I did. The weather was crap, but the sports were awesome. Had a really enjoyable weekend watching a lot of different things, bounced around per usual, a lot of screens, a lot of different channels, and got lots to break down today. Of course, it's a Monday, so we're going to talk NFL for a lot of the show. But we also got some UFC that I watched this weekend that was great television. Was well worth staying up. Well, just to take it behind the curtain, UFC 281, the prelims start at 9 p.m. That's right in the wheelhouse. That's that's early. The, the, the main pay-per-view card starts at 11 p.m. So... Again, that's no big deal for me. I'm up late every night. I don't sleep that much, as I've documented on this program. I watch that. I get through it. Great. And by the end of the pay-per-view, I'm jacked. I I can't go to sleep. I just watched Izzy Adesanya get knocked out by Alex Pereira. It was amazing. But it's 2.30 in the morning, and there's not much you can do at 2.30 in the morning. So I'm thinking, well, I know I can't get to bed. So I throw on an episode of Bosch, new show that I'm watching, Amazon Prime video. Very good. If you haven't seen it, recommend it. Good little cop program. Not a lot of whole, a lot of brand name actors, but there's some good actors in there. Some good stuff. Bosch, season one, got through it this whole weekend. Starting season two, probably tonight, because I'm enjoying the show. So I get through a couple episodes of Bosch. Still can't get to sleep. It's four o'clock in the morning. So what do I do? I had to hop on the hamster wheel, aka the treadmill, for a couple hours. So that was my Saturday slash Sunday morning, was watching UFC, not being able to get to bed, and then just staying up. I was up till 6.45, and then I slept for three hours. That That was my morning. But honestly, it was good. I enjoyed it. I loved the fights. That sleep was great, because it I slept right till kickoff of the Tampa-Seattle game, the Germany game, if you didn't see it, in Munich. Yesterday morning, 10.30 kickoff was actually a really good game, a surprisingly good game in Europe. And so it was It was just a great last 24 or so hours. Minus the weather. As I said, the weather's been crap, but again, it's mid-November in New Brunswick. The weather is going to be crap, so we all have to kind of wrap our arms around that fact for the next five to six months. But today, we got lots to get into, and let's start with, I mean, game of the year? Game of, to me, it was easily the game of the year in the NFL yesterday. And no, I'm not talking about Tennessee-Denver. Let's ride. I'm talking about Minnesota-Buffalo. In Buffalo, New York, yesterday afternoon, that had all the drama, all the theatrics, and it started before kickoff because it was uncertain if Josh Allen was going to start for the Buffalo Bills. I talked about on Friday that I thought Case Keenum would start I like taking the Minnesota Vikings plus the points. I like them either way. 
I said I recommended all of you. Take the Vikings. They're an underdog. I only bet dogs. I like the Vikings in this game at least to cover. The Vikings are a one-loss team. The Bills are a fraudulent team that's being propped up as being the Super Bowl favorite. Can only be right so many times. We get to the game. Josh Allen starting. Great. I'm not shaking in my boots whatsoever. Why? Because I'm betting on Kirk Cousins at 1 p.m. It's like betting on Tom Brady in the last two minutes. Kirk Cousins at 1 p.m. in the afternoon is lights out. You can't shut him down. And throughout the game, Kirk Cousins didn't have his best game. Threw two interceptions, one that was completely awful. Threw it to, I don't know who he was aiming for. There's no receiver in the area. It was like intentional grounding, but he was throwing it to a cornerback. First half, Kirk D. Cousins struggled mightily. But there's those games, there's these times in life where you look at it, you're like, we're just going to take it on the chin today. You have a day where you might be late for work. You get a flat tire. Your wife's pissed off at you, or girlfriend, or dog. You're, you're just nothing's going your way. It's all negative. There's nothing to prop you up. You're just you're you're pissed off from jump. But at the end of the at the end of the day, when all hope is lost, something happens. You get a promotion. You get a free something on Amazon. You get a new car. You win a trip. Some, something, it can be so minuscule, but it's a win. For me, I can have a shit day, and if I go home and see that there's an Amazon package with a new book in it, that brightens up my day. It's something to look forward to. It's it's a gift. It's some, Yes, I paid for it, but it's something that I will enjoy. I can do that night and not think about the shit day that I just had. The Minnesota Vikings were having a shit day. They were down 24 to 10 at the half. Josh Allen was playing decently well, and it looked as though the Buffalo Bills were in cruise control. However, the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen do what the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen do. They are front runners, but they front run, they front run right into a Mack truck yesterday. How about in the fourth quarter, with about six minutes left, Josh Allen throws an interception that you just can't throw. Patrick Peterson, in, in the end zone, makes the interception. They bring it out. It's an inexcusable throw. It can't happen. It was poor. It had nothing that could have helped the team. Nothing. So you got to get the ball away. It was the wrong decision. You're up 10, six minutes left. Think about the game. Don't think about the stats. He throws an interception. Patrick Peterson brings it out. First of two interceptions of the day for Patrick Peterson. We'll get to the second one in a second. Bad decision by Josh Allen. What happens? Minnesota goes down the field. Dalvin Cook, a couple big runs. They punch it in. Now the Vikings are down three. All of a sudden, 10-point lead to a three-point lead. The Minnesota Vikings defense then forces a three and out for the Buffalo Bills. So now, with three minutes on the clock, the 
The Vikings are going to get the ball back. They got timeouts. And all of a sudden, it is panic in Buffalo because Buffalo doesn't win close games. They lose them all. And what happened? Well, just a crazy, crazy turn of events. But before I get to the just to the, the thought here, Patrick Mahomes would not would not have made that throw with six minutes left. Tom Brady would not have made that throw. Geno Smith would not have made that throw. I could name you a bunch of quarterbacks that don't play as reckless or as stupid as Josh Allen. Josh Allen can be two things. He's one of the best athletes in football, period. He's a great runner. He's a great thrower. He's got a lot of great tangibles about him. However, game sense, knowing your surroundings, and just flat out understanding your position in the game is close to a zero. You have to be aware that you're up 10 points. Being up 17 does not matter. And the MVP that you're not going to win because you keep stinking it up week after week is not going to matter. You're throwing it away anyway. You're throwing away games. You're throwing away the AFC East lead. And now you're third behind the Jets. Josh Allen giveth and taketh away week after week after week. Most of these Bills' losses are on Josh Allen. Coach McDermott takes it on the chin. And for some reason, he's not liked. I was hanging around with my parents yesterday watching football, which is always a dangerous proposition. My mother hates Coach McDermott, probably because he's a good coach. She hates guys with personality. She likes boring people that don't give you anything. I hate boring people because I'm boring. I like people that are different than me. I like people that are like to voice their opinion. Jim Harbaugh, give me him. Give me Johnny Menz. Give me coaches that have something to fucking say. Coach McDermott's always got something to say. Whereas Kevin O'Connell just stands over there on the other sideline with his little purple sweater on and his little hat and doesn't say nothing. Boring. Good coach, though. Credit to him. 8-1. But Josh Allen is throwing away games for the Buffalo Bills. So we go to this drive. And it's 4th and 18. And Kirk D. Cousins throws up a Hail Mary because he's got pressure in his face. He knows he's got to get rid of the ball, and he throws it to Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson ones up his LSU brethren, Odell Beckham Jr., the third, and makes the most incredible catch I've ever seen. It's better than the Odell catch. It's better than the George Pickens catch this year. It's better than Martavis Bryant when he was with the Steelers in the back of the end zone. I think this is the best catch in NFL history. It's highly contested. He had to reach back with one arm and to make just to punch it even more. It's on fourth down. He doesn't catch this. The game's bleeping over. Period. Bills win. Josh Allen survives. Justin Jefferson makes this catch. Also on the drive, he makes two more catches, including another third down conversion. So they drive all the way down. Buffalo's taking timeouts. 
Minnesota is at the half yard line and it's fourth and goal or fourth and half an inch. Minnesota decides to quarterback sneak, but they're stuffed. Kirk Cousins is quarter of an inch short of the goal line. Turnover on downs, but we got 47 seconds left. This game isn't over, folks, because the Bills are up three. What happens? So the Bills are up four because they missed the, the point after. Pardon me. The Bills are up four. Greg Joseph makes an extra point, which I wanted. you'd want to just kill that kicker. So Bills get the turnover on downs. Bills get the ball. Mitch Morris, the center. And Josh Allen have a bad snap. Josh Allen can't grab it. Eric Kendricks. The heart and soul of the Minnesota Vikings. He's been there forever. He's been an all-pro. He's been a pro bowler. Truly one of the best at his position in the NFL. Jumps on the football. It's a touchdown Vikings. Massive play. They get the point after. It's now 30-27 Minnesota. Josh Allen, of course, and the Bills drive down the field easily. Minnesota kept them out of the end zone. But we're going overtime. And here's another close game. The Buffalo defense kept Minnesota to a field goal, which is a win. Made some big plays in that drive. Justin Jefferson almost had 200 yards receiving for the game. But the Bills get the ball back. They're driving. And Josh Allen throws another red zone interception, another interception in the end zone to Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson, the wily veteran who was run off, run out of town from Arizona, now has four interceptions in his last two games, including two yesterday. That both interceptions were inexcusable, were bad throws, and just bad decision making. The Bills threw a game away that they should have won. Josh Allen continues to throw games away because that's just what he's been doing. He's playing bad football right now. Here's a list of quarterbacks that have been better than Josh Allen this year. And I'm not trying to pick on Josh Allen. I'm just pointing out a fact to me anyway. Here's a list of quarterbacks that I, really, I thought of last night that are playing better than Josh Allen. Patrick Mahomes, of course, best player in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs, quietly 7-2. We saw that coming. Patrick Mahomes, Tua has been better than Josh Allen. Yep. Tua's got the best touchdown-interception ratio in the NFL, and he hasn't lost a start all season long, Tua. Yeah, the Dolphins are 7-3. Never a game Tua started. All the backups. Two is balling out in Miami. That offense is lethal. Bills got their work cut out for them. So there's two guys in the AFC that have been better than Josh Allen. Should I keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. Might as well. There's a lot of bad quarterback play this year. But even with all this shit going on, Tom Brady's been better than Josh Allen. Yep. Bucks receivers have dropped the most passes in the NFL of any team. That includes Houston. 
been better than Josh Allen. I can't say Aaron Rodgers. Justin Fields isn't better than Josh Allen. Justin Fields, my son, who I love like a pet, is balling out in Chicago. God, he's ball- I love him to death. I had to tell a friend not to take the Bears this weekend. I'm glad he didn't. Saved him some money. I knew that told you about betting against division opponents. I knew the lot the pesky Lions. I had a feeling the Lions won. Of course, the weekend I don't bet on the Lions. Fuckers. But these four guys, all better than Josh Allen this season. And Josh Allen was the best quarterback in the NFL. Here's another name. Kirk D. Cousins has been as good. Yeah, Kirk has eight interceptions, but all I know is Kirk D. Cousins is eight and one. Here's what I learned yesterday. The Buffalo Bills don't have any willpower. They cave under pressure. But I think they're happy about this loss, actually, because now they can go back into the, back into the shadows. The Chiefs will be overwhelming favorites like they should have been from day one, and the Buffalo Bills can come from behind and try to gain ground. This six and this six and three skid season so far does not mean the Bills are going to be a disappointment. But what I see from them on the field is troubling. They're always injured at cornerback. Tredavious White can't stay healthy. Jordan Poyer isn't playing. Micah Hyde's out for the season. That secondary concerns me. For Buffalo, their quarterback is injured and he's playing crap. That concerns me. They still can't run the ball unless it's Josh Allen because he ran for over 80 yards yesterday, which isn't a winning formula in my opinion. See Justin Fields, even though I love him, the three and seven in Chicago. They find ways to lose games. They shouldn't have lost to the Jets, but loose play from Josh Allen cost them. They shouldn't have lost to the Vikings. They had a chokehold on this game, and they gave it to the Vikings. They said, please just try to come back, and they did it. What do I learn about the Vikings? Kirk D. Cousins, if he lost yesterday, it's Kirk D. Cousins all over again. Minnesota Vikings are a fraud team because they got Kirk Cousins at quarterback, and they can't win the big game. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Kirk D. Cousins can't stink, and then they don't win the big game. This is a big win. Minnesota's beaten Green Bay. I don't care. That's a division. That's that's an impressive victory. They've beaten the Bills. Their only loss is to the undefeated team in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's it. They've beaten everybody else that they played. Kirk Cousins isn't a perfect quarterback. What do I know about this team? I know that the Minnesota Vikings have the best receiver in the NFL, period. Before the season, I thought he'd break records with receiving yards. It was down because they they aren't throwing the ball enough. He nearly had 200 yards yesterday. Justin Jefferson is as good as it bleeping gets. Dalvin Cook, when he's healthy and motivated, is as good as it gets at the position. I love the addition of TJ Hawkinson. Their defense still has veterans that can play. Kendricks, Harrison Smith made a great play in Stephon Diggs on that third down. Patrick Peterson is playing well. Zadarius Smith has nine and a half sacks coming over from Green Bay after he was cut. This team can play in Minnesota. 
they can play. And after yesterday's result, they are the second best team in the NFC. I thought it was the Cowboys for a long time. The Cowboys let me down once again. I'm falling for their crap. Good for Minnesota. For Buffalo, get it together is all I can say. You're giving away victories. You're letting teams back into games. And the more this happens, which happens seemingly every week now, the more people question you. And the more I see Buffalo choke away games, the more it makes me want to take their opponents in gambling. Already looked ahead to the line next week. The Browns are at the Bills. Maybe worth a look. We'll get to that on Thursday when Ben Murray joins me. We'll talk about all things gambling then on Big Money Thursday. But just a thought. Good for the Vikings, the Bills. Get it together. And Josh Allen, if you're hurt, don't play. Your play yesterday hurt your team. Didn't help it. Yesterday's loss is purely is 90% on Josh Allen, his poor decision-making, and his lack of awareness at the position that the team was in in the game. Case Keenum's not as good as Josh Allen. He wouldn't have made that play. He wouldn't have made that throw. He wouldn't have been that selfish at that moment to try to get stats and not win the game. Magic Mountain Allen, Walker Campbell says, yeah. It's kind of like that, uh, what's that ride at Magic Mountain? Uh, Noah, what's that called? The, the one that goes straight down. Not the zipper. That's that stupid one at the merry-go-round. Uh, Magic Mountain, what is that called? I forget now. I haven't been there in forever. Just goes, I remember you went to the top of the hill. You went straight. That's... That's Josh Allen. Kamikaze. Thank you, Walker. There you go. Kamikaze. That's what it's called. That's what Josh Allen is. You get to the top of the mountain, straight down. Price is right. Just, yeah. I don't know, Buffalo fans. I don't know. It was the perfect season. You're going to walk into a championship. It's over. The streak, the Sabres are losing it right now. My Sabres. The Bills are losing. Tough times in Buffalo. That's all I'm saying. Plus, the fish look pretty good. Miami on offense are lethal. I, I'm amazed watching the Miami offense because it's so fun to watch. What I was really impressed with yesterday is Tyree Kill at his, you know, his worst day of the season. He had a touchdown, had an impact. But Trent Sherfield got the ball. Cedric Wilson got a couple touches. Alec Angle got a 14-yard touchdown reception. And an ad I love for this Miami offense is Jeff Wilson Jr., who they brought over from San Francisco at the trade deadline. And he's awesome. He's a better running back right now than Raheem Mostert. He's just his ability to cut to see lanes that are opening. To me, he's an X-factor for Miami because he's a better running back. And he's a better receiving threat as well. 
So you get Tyreek in the middle of the field. You have Jalen in the middle of the field. You can get Jeff Wilson Jr. underneath. Trent Sherfield, who had a big day yesterday, who I liked a lot in San Francisco. This offense is scared. What will hold Miami back is, quite frankly, their defense. Their defense is horrible. It ranks 26th in the NFL. They give up big plays after big play. And yeah, it was a blow at the end of the game, but that was when they, you know, Cleveland was forced to pass every down. You couldn't run the football. Nick Chubb was not a part of the game anymore. Kareem Hunt couldn't get the football. I give credit to Bradley Chubb, who had a sack and a half yesterday. Maybe they can. T- I look at their secondary and Xavier Howard, who I used to love. He used to be an All Pro, was the best ball hawk in the NFL. Is getting beat on most of his rushes is getting torched on big plays. And I look at this team and just say, you need somebody, you need a corner to step up. You need players in your secondary, Javon Holland, just to get a lock down this defense because you can be phenomenal if you really find it. For Cleveland, this is a big loss for them because I thought, I kind of thought this game might go Cleveland's way. They got some momentum. They're coming off a bye. But they get clobbered. They're now three and six, and Deshaun Watson will return in Week 13. So two more games before he returns against the Texans. Again, I made it perfectly clear. I don't root against or for anybody this season. I'm rooting against the Cleveland Browns because of Deshaun Watson. Hope Cleveland loses. Their, I love Jacoby Brissett. Nick Chubb's a stud. I have nothing against Amari Cooper. Their ownership can fuck off. Deshaun Watson can fuck off. And anybody that was in that mix can take a hike. So I don't mind seeing Cleveland lose. Three and six. Hope they lose the rest of their games. Hope Deshaun Watson comes back. Gets his fucking head beat in. But Miami looks good. They're seven and three. The Bills are six and three. The Jets are six and three. Patriots are five and four. Really competitive division. Miami heads into a bye. Buffalo's got Cleveland, Jets, Patriots this coming weekend. So a couple interesting games there. What also happened yesterday? Oh, I wanted to touch on Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts were the talk of the NFL last week. Frank Reich was in his fifth season with the Colts, and he was fired. And he was replaced with Jeff Saturday, who was working at the mothership as an analyst. No head coaching experience, no coaching experience in the NFL or college. But Jim Irsay, the owner in Indianapolis, knew Jeff, and he got the job because he knew him. A nepotism hire, but guess what? It happens, as we talked about last week. Well... There's a couple different things you can look at yesterday and think, why did the Colts win this game? And I also said to take the Colts plus four and a half. Yesterday was a good day for yours truly. Tell you that. Took Minnesota, had the Colts, and had Green Bay in a little three-way underdog parlay. And I'll tell you, that hit, and it hit well. Could buy some bananas this morning and really feel good about myself. Tell you that. But why did the Colts win? 
couple different reasons. There's always the new coach bump in the first game. Happens in every sport. New coach comes in, there's an immediate new wave of energy. Players feel different. They feel excited. It's a different voice. It's just, it's fresh, right? It's not the same guy that you haven't had success with, and you're just, you feel rejuvenated a little bit. So I think that was happening in Indianapolis. But we heard all week that Sam Ellinger, the former quarter fifth-round pick from the University of Texas, was going to be the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts going forward. But just prior to kickoff, and clearly the Colts kept this under wraps. Adam Schefter didn't know this. This was a complete stunner because this is about half hour before kickoff. It came out that Matt Ryan – was going to start for the Colts. He had been benched. He had a sore shoulder. And it looked like he was going to be the mentor the rest of the year, the third quarterback behind Ellinger and Nick Foles. But Jeff Saturday comes in, and Matt Ryan is back under center. Well, Matt Ryan looked motivated to me. I think Matt Ryan was embarrassed. I think Matt Ryan came up with something to prove. Matt Ryan has been an MVP. He's been to a Super Bowl. He ran for 40 yards yesterday, Matt Ryan. He had a rushing touchdown, and he had a 39-yard scramble. I've never seen Matt Ryan run the football. He's a statue. He ran the ball yesterday in a massive play down the field. He looked confident throwing the football. He had a really good day, and he had his best protection of the season. So that's another reason. I think Matt Ryan came in. He's obviously a better quarterback than Sam Ellinger. So is Nick Foles. It only made sense to start one of those two guys. But also, you also got to look at why did the Colts win this game? Because the Raiders stink. The Las Vegas Raiders are 2-7. and seven. They had quite an offseason. They gave Derek Carr a two-year extension, paying him over $35 million a year, guaranteed. They traded for Devontae Adams, traded away first-round picks, and gave him the record amount of money for a wide receiver in NFL history. They signed Chandler Jones from the Arizona Cardinals, to a deal worth over $15 million guaranteed. They re-signed Max Crosby for over $90 million. They got rid of Rich Basaccia, who had motivated that team last year if they fired John Gruden. They let him walk, and they brought in Josh McDaniels, the former Denver Broncos head coach and longtime offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. There was hype in Vegas. This was the turnaround. This was we can compete with the Chiefs. It was the loaded AFC West with all kinds of potential. And the Raiders have been an unmitigated disaster. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. I didn't think they'd be a superb team. But I did not expect two and seven looking hapless. 
I did not expect the two Raiders victories this season to be over the Houston Texans and the Denver Broncos. Derek Carr broke down into tears after the game. He looks completely broken. He does not look like a guy that has any sort of confidence. This team seems to be wearing down. And it's a team with no identity, no culture, and going nowhere fast. Josh McDaniels coached for a year and four games in Denver. He won four of those games. Four out of 20 games. He's always been a great offensive coordinator. Always. He was offered the Colts job, and he pulled out at literally the last second when Andrew Luck retired. I think the Colts dodged a bullet. Frank Reich didn't get them a championship, but I think he's a better head coach than Josh McDaniels. Some guys just aren't meant to be head coaches. And 99.9% of Belichick's disciples aren't head coaches. They are good students behind Bill Belichick. They do their job. They coach the offense. They coach the defense. They can run an offensive line. But when they are given the keys to the car, they drive it into a mountain. They drive it over the hill. They are O'Doyle in Billy Madison. O'Doyle rules, if you've ever seen the movie, and they drive off the cliff after running over the banana peel. They do not know what the hell they're doing. Eric Mangini was the most successful. He won one playoff game with the Jets. Josh McDaniels, failure. Patricia, failure. Joe Judge, failure. Romeo Cronell, failure. Bill O'Brien, failure. All these guys that come under Belichick get a job. And they all stink. Something I think the NFL just has to realize, and it's these stupid, stupid owners on other teams that think we can just pluck a guy that Bill Belichick has endorsed and he will give us the same kind of value over here. That's not how it works because they're not Bill Belichick. Not to mention they're not bringing Tom Brady with them. They're not bringing an elite quarterback. They're not bringing an elite system. Derek Carr has the worst completion percentage of his career. He has the worst touchdown-interception ratio in his career under offensive genius Josh McDaniels. I like Derek Carr a lot, but like I said, he looks broken. He looks like this season has just sucked the life out of him. This Raiders team, and quite honest, I'm surprised. And I read this on Twitter, and this is why it hasn't happened. Josh McDaniels has a massive buyout in his contract. Where he gets fired, he's going to make a whole lot of money. And I don't think Vegas wants to pay two coaches. But knowing Mark Davis, 
His father was one of the great owners in the history of the league. Had all kinds of success in Oakland. Since moving to Vegas, the success has been minimal for the Raiders franchise. They have one of the nicest facilities. It's a beautiful spot. I plan to go to a game there sometime. But on the field, the product has been average at best. They might win some games down the stretch. They got the Broncos this week. Maybe they win that game because both those teams stink. I'm not watching any of that game. And maybe they get four to five wins, but that's still, we know what it is. When you're two and seven, the season's over in week 11. It just is. Looking ahead for the Raiders, I think Derek Carr will be on a new team next season. Derek Carr has only played for the Raiders. I think he loves it. He loves the franchise. But to me, the franchise and Derek Carr need a new voice, need a new opportunity. Matthew Stafford got one, and it proved to be awesome because he won a Super Bowl. He got the ultimate prize. He left Detroit. He joined a new franchise. He had all kinds of success. Matt Ryan, up and down in Indy, was benched, obviously. It can go poorly. Don't get me wrong. But I think Vegas needs to look at in the mirror and say, where are we going? It's not all on Derek Carr. Don't get me wrong. An offensive line, they don't know how to draft defensive players. The Las Vegas Raiders have cut five of their last six first-round picks. Cut. One's in jail. And one was cut for being online with a handgun threatening to kill people. Didn't go to jail for that, but he was on online with a gun. I think Josh McDaniels is canned at the end of the year. I think Derek Carr is traded. This team needs a just a shift in philosophy. And clearly the hiring of Josh McDaniels did not work. It's tough for franchises like Vegas because they have to stare Kansas City in the face. Who are the pillar of success, the pillar of consistency, and you're chasing that dragon year after year. You want so badly to be them. You want to have Mahomes. You want to have Andy Reid. You just want to have stability. They don't have any of that. They had Gruden for three years. There's no stability with John Gruden. The guy's a ticking time bomb. You know, it's, you know, it'll go off eventually, and it did last season. Rick Bisaccia was a godsend for that franchise. He got them to a playoff that they had no business making, and they let him walk. He's now the special teams coordinator in Green Bay. I don't know if Rich Bisaccia would have been a good head coach long term, but I will put it this way. I have a hard time believing he'd be as bad as Josh McDaniels has been this year. Josh McDaniels might just be a really good offensive coordinator, and it might only work in New England. But has he been that great of an offensive coordinator when he had Mac Jones or Brian Hoyer or Cam Newton? Was it only really good when he had Tom Brady? I would say it's been the latter. 
So he's just been a coach in the NFL that's had a intermediate amount of success with anybody that's not TB12. But credit to the Colts. Credit to Jeff Saturday. He took a lot of criticism, and he won his first game. Now, however, he's 1-0, but you got to keep winning. You gotta be, a, you gotta be competitive. You gotta be a good coach down the stretch. They got a tough schedule. I looked it up. They played a lot of their division games already. They got the Eagles next week. That's not an easy game. They do have the Steelers in there, so that's an easy game. But they got some tricky opponents down the stretch for for the Colts. So kudos to Jeff Saturday. Live it up. Rejoice in the victory for sure. But just know the job's not done and you have a whole rest of the season to try to figure out what you're going to do with this team. But I credit him for starting Matt Ryan and giving this team the opportunity to win. It sure looked like they were tanking with the hire, starting Sam Ellinger, but they looked at the best quarterback, the best option to give this team the best chance to win, and they did that yesterday. So kudos to Jeff Saturday. Now, we talk about organizations that have been pillars of success. That would be the Green Bay Packers. For the last five to ten years, it's been nothing but great stuff in Green Bay. Division win after division win. Get to the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers wins MVPs. Devontae Adams is breaking records. And it's all good in Green Bay. Until this season from hell where Aaron Rodgers is committing turnovers you never see him commit. They can't. They don't have a receiver that can catch. They have injury after injury, and this team is just a disaster. Well, that was until yesterday when the Dallas Cowboys played at Lambeau Field where Mike McCarthy was in his first game back at Lambeau since he was fired a number of years ago. This was, I feel like this was a big game for Mike McCarthy. He wanted to win this one. He was animated on the sideline. And I think this was obviously a must-win game for Green Bay when it came to their season. Well, yesterday, I can look at a number of things. You can look at this Dallas team and look at late in the game and say, where was the pass interference call? And I'm with that opinion. I do think it was pass interference on Jerry Alexander late in the game. They did not call it. They did not call it. However, if you recall on that play, it was on C.D. Lamb, Jerry Alexander. They did not throw the flag. It was pass interference, no doubt about it. It would have been first down Dallas. But you don't get a call. You don't, always get, you don't always get bailed out by the refs, and sometimes you got to just roll with the punches. Well, after that fourth down, no show, we look at what happens. It's fourth down. You are in field goal range. You have Brett Maher, who's actually one of the better long-distance kickers in the NFL, and Mike McCarthy decides to go for it on fourth down, and... Green Bay gets good pass rush up the middle. Dak Prescott does not have time to make a throw. It's incomplete. Turnover on downs. 
I don't care what analytics said. I don't care what the computer, the numbers. I don't give any sh any of that shit. This was the wrong decision by Mike McCarthy. Kick the field goal. Why? You have one of the best defenses in the NFL. I wrote it down last week, so I'm going to go back and find it. Because I looked up the defenses in the NFL because I wanted to bring up this exact point. So go back to the notes and I'll find it for you all about defenses. Because I just want to be accurate when it comes to Dallas. Because that is the most important to me because that's what this show is all about is accuracy. Dallas has the third ranked defense in the entire National Football League. That's pretty good. It's 32 teams. Three is damn good. So you have the third-ranked defense in the NFL. You have the most sacks in the NFL. And you decide, you know what? Let's go for it on fourth down. We need a touchdown to win. Why? Why is this happening? The Dallas defense was not having the best day. I'll admit that. Christian Watson caught a deep touchdown pass, the first, play, the first touchdown of the game for him. He ended up with three. He finally showed a pulse. He finally showed that he, why he was drafted. Christian Watson had a great day. Kudos to him. We'll get more to that. But the Dallas defense didn't have their greatest performance. But I will say, Dak Prescott threw two interceptions that led to 10 points. Not to mention, those two interceptions, Green Bay got the ball inside the Dallas 30-yard line. So pretty short fields for Green Bay to go get points. So if Dak's not turning the ball over, he had an average game if there ever was an average game yesterday. If Dak doesn't have a couple of really bad turnovers, second one, Greg Olson, if you weren't listening to the game, he had a great breakdown on it. He said this was on C.D. Lamb, that he didn't go up the field. And it was super interesting. Greg Olson, I really enjoy his call on games with Kevin Burkhart. I think, I think they're very good on Fox. But... Nevertheless, it's an interception to turnover. He has two in the first half that lead to, to 10 points. Short fields, Green Bay can take advantage. What should be the game plan? You're on the road. You're playing a team that has no confidence offensively. How about we don't turn the ball over and we just keep control of it? So Dallas defense, it was not great, not as great as, you, as it usually is. But also that's misconstrued because Dallas and in particular Dak Prescott, screwed the pooch for them. But you decide to go for it on fourth down, and you fuck it up. Who could see that coming? Dak Prescott had a C-plus-C game yesterday. He did not play well. He missed open throws. He had bad reads. He threw two interceptions. And Aaron Rodgers, who had been crap all season long, outplayed him again. Head-to-head, -head, Aaron Rodgers just owns Dak Prescott. He's 4-1 lifetime against Dak. Undefeated at Lambeau Field. Also, Dallas got breaks. In the second half, Murray Rodgers muffed a punt that was recovered by Dallas, led to a, a Tony Pollard touchdown. But there's no P.I. call. People are yelling. People are messed up. Kick the field goal. Give it to Brett Maher. He kicks it through. You go full Russell Wilson say, let's ride with the defense. 
Maybe don't win the game, but I would have banked on the stronger side of the football. For Dallas, their offense is not as good as their defense. Period. Period. And bank on what got you to 6-2, and two, which wasn't Cooper Rush and Noah Brown and CeeDee Lamb in their place. It was Micah Parsons and Dorrance Armstrong and D-Law, Trayvon Diggs, Donovan Wilson playing great on the, on the defensive side of the football. Mike McCarthy showed that he did not have faith in his defense to get a stop. He showed that, you know what? Aaron Rodgers is going to torch my defense. They're going to go down and do it. And I, I just, I hate the decision all the way around. Because what happens, Green, Green Bay gets the football, and when you turn it over on downs, all you need is a field goal to win. They go down the field, does another big play. Aaron Jones, who had a great day, they finally gave him the ball over 20 times, which was about damn time. A.J. Dillon got 17 carries, so they ran the football. Christian Watson had a huge day through the air. And Mason Crosby kicks the game-winning field goal from the 10-yard line. Green Bay survives. This game came down to poor quarterback play and coaching. Yes, you're on the road, but you were favored on the road because the Green Bay Packers were playing abysmal football. Back-to-back -back MVP winner Aaron Rodgers was calling out teammates. He had no kind of success. Him and Matt LaFleur getting into fights on the sideline. It's a disaster in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yet he found it yesterday. Of course he did against the Dallas Cowboys. He loves to play the Dallas Cowboys. Christian Watson had his coming out party. And Dallas did some things right yesterday. They gave the ball to Tony Pollard a ton. I love that. Zeke didn't play, but still, Tony Pollard got the ball. C.D. Lamb had two touchdown receptions. Starting to play better at wide receiver. To me, Dallas showed why, and I had them as the second-best team in the NFC, and it's changing. They're not anymore. Minnesota has taken that mantle. Minnesota's 8-1. They have proven to be a legit force, and they win every big game that they play. And they have the most wins via one-score games in the NFL this year, five of them. One score games that Minnesota has won all five. They're five and all. That's clutch time for Kirk D. Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. For Dallas, I don't trust their head coach and I don't trust their quarterback. Simple as that. And I think their offense is way too predictable. It's C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup is dinged and they don't have a great option. I'm sure OBJ is going to be the target. Michael Gallup was hurt in the first, first half. He came back. Since tearing his ACL, he's not been the same receiver. Dalton Schultz is a good tight end. He's not a great tight end. He can do the job, but he's not going to wow you. Play in, play out. I don't love their quarterback play. I don't love their coach. Because he will make a decision that will make you shake your head in the playoffs like he did last year. 
Dak Prescott will make a couple plays a game that you say, what are you thinking there? What's happening? I mean, these are razor-thin margins in the NFL. These plays matter. Seeding matters. What you're playing for. I mean, look at it. Dallas was 6-2. and two. Right now, you go into Green Bay as a four-point favorite, and you lose the game. With the loss, you drop to six and three. The Giants win. They are they are seven and two, outright second in the NFC East. And Giants did get the perfect game coming off a bye, because you get the Houston Texans who stink, beyond stink. But it don't matter. You take care of business. You get the win. Daniel Jones plays efficient football, throws throws two touchdown passes to unknown receivers. Saquon Barkley runs for over 100 yards. Defense looks good again for the Giants. They're 7-2. Nobody watched that game yesterday against Houston, but guess what? They're 7-2. They get a sneaky, tough game next week, I think, against the Detroit Lions. It's a tough game for me, the Giants. But you're outright second in... The NFC East, and you control your destiny now for the Giants. Here's why. They play the Lions, a 3-6 and six team. So you just played Houston, who doesn't have a winning record. And then you play Detroit, who doesn't have a winning record. Dallas has the Vikings next weekend in Minnesota. That's not an easy game. Now, Dallas, historically, they own Minnesota and they own Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins only beaten the Dallas Cowboys once in his career. He's played them a time because he played in Washington. He lost to Cooper Rush last year up in Minnesota. We'll get to that later in the week, but that's a tough matchup. No gimme win. You get the Lions, but then they get the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. You take care of business against the Lions, maybe get a break with the Cowboys lose again. Then you upset them at Jerry World. You have a three-game cushion, and all of a sudden you're nine and two. You're a locked playoff team, the Giants. And who knows? Maybe you're competing for top spot in the NFC East. It's not all the realm of possibility. It's crazy to say, but it isn't. These things matter. Your wild card position, the team that you play. For Green Bay, they have life. You're four and six, and you have life. Your season is not over. You're going to need help. You're going to need to go on a run. And you don't have an easy schedule. Yeah, Tennessee Thursday night. Short week. You got to figure it out. You got the Eagles in there on a Sunday night. You got to play the Vikings again. You got two division games. So there's a lot of tough meetings left for the Green Bay Packers, but your season is not dead, and that's all you can say. You beat a really good Cowboys team at home. You found a way to squeak that one out. It's just game by game now for the Packers to see what they can do. Simple as that. For Dallas, I lost faith in you. And in my NFC power rankings, I have the Eagles one. I had the Vikings, too. And I'll tell you, 
as much as this team was dead, and I'm not going there yet, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers impressed me yesterday. Well, they did and they didn't. They made that stupid play when they're up big trying to throw a touchdown pass to Tom Brady. I don't know what the thought was there, but Byron Leftwich, Leonard Furness to throw a ball to Tom Brady. Stupid play, you get the ball back, it leads to points. Seattle doesn't turn the ball. Seattle comes out ready to play in the first half. Maybe don't win that game. I thought Tom Brady had his best game in a long time yesterday. And the biggest thing for me for Tampa, they ran the damn football. White can play. He can run. He's keep giving him the him and Leonard Fournette, give them both the football. It cannot just be Tom Brady throwing 50 times a game. But I saw diversity in that offense. Tom Brady hit some big throws to Mike Evans, to Julio Jones, who was healthy, who got a 30-yard touchdown pass yesterday. Tampa is going to easily is going to cruise to their division now. They're five and five. The Falcons are four and six. They're in trouble. Easy pickings now for, for Tampa. They will likely finish with the fourth seed in the NFC. They will get maybe the Giants in the wild card game. You'd like the Giants. You'd like the, the four versus five game. The Giants would be a perfect team for t- Tom Brady to play because they've never been to the playoffs. They have no experience. It'd be like playing the Eagles last year. He had no problem beating the Eagles. You, you can see the train. You can see where it could go for Tampa to get through the NFC because the NFC isn't that tough, and they don't have a whole lot of experienced quarterbacks that have done it. But parenthetically, I'd have Tampa Bay 3 in my power rankings right now just because I see it coming. Four, then I'd have the Cowboys. I look at Tampa Bay, who head into a bye. They play in the, a crap division that they'll just swallow up. And I see an opportunity there for the Bucks to really start to find their game and go on a run. I don't know if it happens or not, but I see the possibility for it. Also yesterday... Chiefs beat the Jags, no surprise. Steelers upset the Saints, which didn't watch any of that game, but that, that happened. Oh, before I get off the NFL, I have to talk about Russell Wilson for a second. So he throws for almost 200 yards in the first half, and it's his best half of the season, and let's ride Russell Wilson. He got 10 points in the first half, which isn't great. That game was trash. I had it on my computer for a while. At one point, there was nine consecutive punts. Both these offenses, these offenses stink. And yes, they're both defenses are very good. They're both on the top six in the NFL. I give them both credit, but both the teams' offenses both suck. But you have a 10-7 lead at the half for Denver on the road. Not bad. Russell Wilson has zero second-half points for the Denver Broncos. Denver defense gives up 10. They lose 17-10 to Tennessee. 
If I'm a Denver Broncos fan, I'm so embarrassed with what they put on the field this year. Their defense is spectacular. They keep them in every game. They got guys that fly all over the field. Their linebackers are great. Pats are tan. Even without Bradley Chubb, they got eight sacks yesterday in Ryan Tannehill. Eight sacks, and they get ten points. Five consecutive punts to give them the ball back. Three of those were three and outs. The next drive for Denver. Jerry Judy left. I don't care. I've seen this before from Russell Wilson. I didn't like the trade first because I thought he was deteriorating in Seattle. And he's, let's just be honest, he's been so bad this season for the Denver Broncos. He's been so disappointing and he's brought nothing to the table. His best thing that he's offered is saying, let's ride that I now use every time as a joke. It's a punchline for me. I use it like today. I heard Matt Murray's coming back for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He says, okay, let's go, Leaf fans. That's right. Got Matt Murray back. Got to feel confident about that. He won't pull his hammy and warm up. He's a punchy bag. He's a loser, Russell Wilson. He comes off more and more like a fraud when he does interviews, and all his ex-teammates hate him. Mr. Hollywood in Denver. You signed him for another six years, $275 million. Boy, that looks like a bad investment right now. Because you got him, but it's not like your division's getting that much easier. Because guess what? You still got Mahomes, who signed long-term in Kansas City. He's pretty happy where he is. Yeah, the Raiders stink. Maybe they turn it around. Justin Herbert's young. Chargers are still in the mix. They're better than you. They're better than you. That's all you need to know. The Chargers are better than you. Herbert's better than you. Mahomes is better than you. You can't win shit. Just embarrassing stuff. The Tennessee offense is as blasé as it gets. Derrick Henry did not run for 45 yards yesterday, and you did not score a point in the second half. Good luck, Broncos fans. Let's ride. Tonight, Monday Night Football, we got Commanders-Eagles. I talked about this game on Friday, but as a refresher, I love this game betting tonight. I've already made the bet. I made it on Friday. On Friday, the line was 11.5. Eagles were a favorite. It's since been bet down. It's only 10.5. So I see some of the money is coming in on the Washington Commanders. Doesn't surprise me. They must have been listening to the point because I love the Commanders tonight. I have them at 11.5. I don't, if you're betting, if you just want to put in a game bet tonight before the game, I like Commanders plus 10.5. Why? Yes, the Eagles have the best record in the NFL. Yes, the Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now. But division games are tricky. Talked about this. Cleveland beat Cincinnati. Road dog. What else happened this year? The Detroit Lions beat the Bears yesterday. Road dog. The Carolina Panthers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Road dog. The Panthers beat the Falcons this season. Road dog. Division games are tricky. Lions beat the Packers. These things happen. Normally these teams split. The Eagles may very well win tonight because they're a better team and the commies just aren't that great. They're not functioning. Whatever it might be. Eagles will win tonight, 
Yes, I'm on board with that. But I'm also saying the Washington Commanders will cover the 10.5, 11.5, whatever the spread you got it at, they will cover it tonight. I'm comfortable with that bet. The Green Lizard, Taylor Heineke, will keep this game close for the Washington football team. On paper, this doesn't look like a good game. So the Commies are 4-5. and five. You have the 8-0 Eagles. I think this will be a better game than you think. This game will be worth tuning into tonight. I'd watch anything. It's the NFL. It's football. I don't care the game. I will watch it because I will miss it dearly come February and March. I would kill for a game between the Commies and the Eagles. When you can throw some scratch on it as well and you feel good about it, betting an underdog, ride that wave. Let's ride, friends. NHL this weekend. NHL this weekend. What do I got for you in the NHL? There was some interesting things, some storylines, if you will, that I wanted to touch on. I think I did. made some notes this weekend on the NHL. They all get blended together. I apologize, folks. Right here. So, I guess I'm going to start with the Leafs because there was some news today. Toronto Maple Police announced that Jake Muzzin has a spinal injury, which is very concerning. He is out until the late February, they said today, where they'll reevaluate his progress, how he's doing, things of that nature. I don't think he's going to play again. To me, it's no surprise that it's late February they're going to evaluate him again. Why late February? Because the trade deadline is in late March. So it gives the team enough time to figure it out, use that money where they want to try to get a trade. You might say, Noah, that's cynical. You're just saying that because the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'd say that about any team. You're telling me they're not waiting until the end of March to figure this out? I don't know medicine, but I do know the trade deadline. I do know sports. It's a fickle bitch, and they're good for Toronto. Work it out. I don't think he'll play again. Figure it out. Whatever. Also today, TJ Brody was put on injured reserve after blocking a shot Friday night. Tough break for Brody. He's their most complete Toronto Maple Leaf defenseman. Just... Playing the position, defending, he's the best. Because they don't have that many, quite frankly. So that that's to me, that's a big loss for the Leafs. Because who they have, you got Jordy Ben coming, you have Lilligren, Sandine, got Hall, guys that can play. But there's it's it's tough to fill in that void. Just you know, Jordy Ben is not gonna do it what TJ Brody does for this team, which is just play simple and just play really efficient minutes. So, tough break, injured reserve. He's not on long-term IR, so he will not miss, you know, 10 games or a minimum 24 days. But he, he will miss a, a, number, a few games for sure, uh, Sheldon Keith said this morning. Also, he announced Matt Murray, as I mentioned jokingly earlier, is coming off long-term IR, and he will make his return to the Maple Leaf lineup tomorrow night in Pittsburgh. And Matt Murray won his two Stanley Cups. In Pittsburgh, so he will play against one of his two prior teams. And this is good news for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, Matt Murray, they brought him in to be their starting goalie. He played the first game of the year, and then he tore his hamstring, 
in a warm-up before an Ottawa Senators game. This is all I'll say. you got to hope he can play if you're a Leaf fan. I don't have anything else I can give you. I don't have faith that he's going to play. I don't have faith that he's going to play well. He's going to stay healthy. That's a loser's race. That's a bad take. I'm just saying that's what you got to hope for. Because you brought him in to be your starting goalie. Samsonov's hurt, and Eric Schalgren is not a long-term answer to be your starting goalie. Point blank and the period. See what you can do, but Matt Murray's back. You have a starting goalie. It's pretty good. Pretty good optimism from a guy like me, I think. So enjoy that. Now, I have a few observations. I watched all their Pittsburgh-Toronto Friday night. Saturday night, I didn't watch much of Vancouver. I'll tell you this. It's hard to watch the Vancouver Canucks. They are so fucking bad. So bad. I watched a, a, a little bit of their game last night. They are just awful. Their structure, their defense, their play. The amount of turnovers they make at the opposing team's blue line before entering a zone. I'm surprised Brucey's face isn't it just isn't the Kool-Aid man all the time, just ready to bust through a wall. Because it's so infuriating. JT Miller is a turnover machine. I think he's getting paid extra to do it. Their defense stinks. They got injuries up the was they just they're just an awful hockey team. Awful. They stink. So I didn't watch that game Saturday night. There's way too much good call there's Great college football. I'm not tuning into a lease Vancouver game. Sorry. I'm sure Overdrive or Real Kipper or whatever, that show. We'll talk about it today. head there. Friday night, I have some observations because I watched that game. The Leafs have a third line. The Leafs have a third line, and I like it a lot. I mentioned last week that I had a little crush on David Camp. His work ethic, his play. I love David Camp. He's a stud. And his work ethic is rubbing off. And I can't believe I'm saying this on this show. I never thought I'd say this publicly. I never thought I'd say this even in my head. Dennis Malgin's playing good for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Dennis Malgin looks like an NHL player. And Dennis Malgin is morphing into a role guy that could last. I still can't believe I just said that. Dennis Malgin is working hard along the boards. He's making smart decisions. He's working for pucks. He created the Zach Aston Reese goal on Friday night. He's, he was along the boards. He created a turnover. Camp got the puck around and Aston Reese. Popped at home. But the line of Aston Reese, Dennis Malgin, and David Camp is a great third line. They can defend against opposing teams, and they can also get some good scoring opportunities. Because quite frankly, Friday night, it was their best line by a country mile. You got the most opportunities, they had the most offensive zone time, and quite frankly, they work harder than every other line. So I, I love seeing that from this team. Another thing for Toronto, I think it's a positive. On the power play, Morgan Riley's on it. I wouldn't have him on it. That's just a, a thought for me. He's not a great offensive player. Morgan Riley is what he is. I, I, he can't shoot. He's got no threat of a slap shot. Why is he on the ice? He can only he only shoots a wrister. But again, the Leafs don't get a guy with a shot on their back end. 
another great strategy. Maybe they can find a guy from Sault Ste. Marie that's got a point shot, but again, they can try to figure that out at a later date. I can't fix everything for them in one day. I wouldn't have them on the power play, but I thought their power play looked sharp. They're getting good opportunities. Matthews needs to get away from the front of that. Let him shoot the puck. Yes, he's not playing that great. I'm the first to point that out because nobody else will. But he's let him rip it. Him being in front of – let Tavares go in front of that and whack in ugly goals. That's Tavares 101. But that's an observation. Austin Matthews, to me, still doesn't look right. He's got seven he's – not, he's not playing like crap. Don't get me wrong. But Nathan McKinnon's got – 23 points in 13 games. Pretty good stretch. Four goals, 19 assists. McDavid's got 16 goals already. Drysaddle leads the league in assists. All these best players that I had rated higher than Matthews, but nobody else did, are outplaying Austin Matthews by a lot, quite frankly. He's not the focal point in games. He's not jumping off the page. I don't watch Leaf games and say, well, Austin Matthews was so great tonight. I don't I don't see that. Maybe tomorrow night's night where he just comes out and says, this is my night. Friday night, Gino Melgan. Gino Melkin. Thinking of two Melgans here. Gino Melkin had a game for the for the Penguins. He was motivated. He played hard. He played physical. I just want to see Austin Matthews take over a game. There hasn't been many of those this season. He's been mediocre. He's been average. McKinnon, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Rantanen, Jesper Bratt. These guys have taken over games. Quite frankly, he hasn't. Just an observation. The Blues have won two straight. They, have, they did not fire Craig Brube. They won against Vegas, and they won against Columbus, possibly Thursday night. They won two games. Anyway, I know that. The win against Vegas is big, but they got Colorado tonight. you got to keep this going. you got to continue to play good hockey. You haven't turned the corner yet because you need to prove that you can do it consistently. I will credit Ryan O'Reilly. He had three points over the weekend. He was on the ice for... Every goal that they scored a Saturday night in Vegas, working hard. I watched a lot of that game late. He looked like the old Ryan O'Reilly working really hard for opportunities. So kudos to him for knowing that he hasn't been good enough at all. Braden Shen also played inspired hockey. So Miha and Vegas, their second loss of the season, that's, that's a tough – it's tough to beat them. So they found a way to do that in Las Vegas. That's an impressive one. They got – a road trip this week. They're in in Colorado, then they're in Chicago, then they're home to they have three games in the next four nights with the St. Louis Blues. So it's an important stretch for them to get back on the right track because guess what? Winnipeg is keep, keeps winning games. Watch that game last night. They're down the whole way. Seattle's playing great defensively. They're blocking shots. Four seconds left. Blake Wheeler taps the puck in to tie the game. Mark Shifley wins it in overtime. Winnipeg's playing good hockey. They're getting fantastic goaltending from Connor Hellebuck, and they're winning hockey games right now, period. They're finding ways. They're without Nick Ehlers, and they're still winning. Shifley's been great. Wheeler's been pretty good. Neil Pionk and Morrissey in the back end have both been great. They're playing together. I'm impressed by this Winnipeg Jets stretch. 
They're playing great. They're playing inspired hockey. They're getting good depth as well. They're getting really good performances from the bottom of their lineup. So they're playing good hockey. Dallas keeps winning games. If you're the Blues, you got to look at them in the Central. Dallas is a good team. I thought they'd be good. Jason Robertson continues to score goals. Little Joe Pavelski might be 38 years old, but he's still so great at finding a knack to score goals. Minnesota's starting to play better hockey. They're finding a way to get points on a night-in, night-out basis. So the Central's tough. New York Islanders. New York Islanders are 10-6 and six in their first 16 games. They play their 17th tonight. It's actually a 6.30 p.m. puck drop between the Isles and the Senators. A weird start time. I love it, though. You can finish the podcast, go home, eat supper, watch that game. I thought the Isles would turn it around, and they have so far. They're getting goals. This is how they win. They get production from everybody. Paul Mary's got four goals. Parise's got five. Nelson's got eight. Um, Anders Lee has six. J.G. Pajo's got three. Noah Dobson's got four. Adam Pellick's got four. Matt Barzell leads the team in assists. Sorokin's been fantastic. But they, they just... It's a team effort in Long Island. That's how they won the last two years prior to last year. It was just a flat-out disaster. This team still has a great nucleus. They know how to win games. It's not pretty. It's not the most fascinating team to watch. I thought they'd turn around and be a good hockey team. They are. They are. Every game, they're a tough out because they're physical. They're going to eliminate ice, eliminate time and space. That's the way they approach the game. So the Islanders are off to an impressive, they're 10 and 6, and I look at the way they play, it's tough to beat on a night in, night out basis. They're just a frustrating team to play against. Looking at that division, Philly's starting to come back to earth. They're not a great team. They're not playing great hockey. They lost to Ottawa on the weekend in a frustrating, really good entertaining afternoon game, I will say. A couple of fights, really a spirited tilt between those two teams. But Philly's dropping down. The Rangers, they lost. They went uh, one out of two over the weekend. But they're they're starting to find it a little bit in New York. They're starting to play a little bit better uh, for the Rangers. New Jersey's won nine in a row. They can't lose right now in New Jersey. Everything's going right. And, yes, it's only mid-November. But some years by mid-November, New Jersey's already out of it. So they're riding high. You got Islanders, Rangers, New Jersey's going to be in the mix the entire year because of the way they started. Carolina's playing decent hockey, of course. They always are in the mix. And then there's Columbus in the Metropolitan Division. Columbus got some brutal injury news over the weekend. It was announced that Zach Kerensky broke his collarbone and tore his labrum, meaning he is out for the season. And one of my young favorites, undrafted from the University of Michigan, Nick Blankenberg, is out four to six weeks as well. He's another guy in the back end that I liked a lot. He's out. Jakob Voracek was put on long to my art, and Sean Corrali was also put in the injured reserve for the Blue Jackets. This team is decimated. Their back end is completely crippled. And 
to me this and also this morning Patrick Line was put on the long-term IR for the second time already this season and it's November 14th way to go Line and getting that long-term extension this is a full-on tank year for Columbus Corpusallo and Merzlikens are on expiring contracts in between the pipes. I believe Boone Jenner is on the last year of his deal. You have Wierenski, Line locked up long-term, but they're out. They're injured. You traded Oliver Bjorkstrand to Seattle. You got young players like Cole Sillinger, Yegor Chinnikov, Blankenberg, who will be back eventually. You got youngsters all over the ice, Justin Danforth. This season's about growth for the young players who will go through tough times and tanking for Connor Bedard. I'm not certain Connor Bedard's going to be the best player in this draft. I love the Russian youngster a lot, more than most. But Bedard's got 43 points in 20 games in the WHL. His team stinks, but he'll probably be traded at the trade deadline. But he's ripping it up. Ripping it up. He's already got 20 goals, something like that. He'll be at the World Juniors, so his numbers will go down a bit. But he's going to have a fantastic season for Regina. Maybe gets dealt because they're a 500 team right now with Bedard. Columbus needs a spark. Orensky is there. Yes, Line came and they got Johnny Gaudreau. But this is about building for the future and screw this season because you're going to lose a lot of games. You're competing with Arizona. Vancouver is very much in this mix because Vancouver stinks. I can't say that enough. And Vancouver should be trying to trade pieces sooner rather than later because they should want they should want to be entering the Connor Bedard sweepstakes because they need that superstar in this team. They need something to get this fan base excited to get a generational talent on this team. I look at Columbus. I look at Arizona. Trying to think of other teams in the in the Atlantic. I don't think there's anybody that bad to join this mix. To join that mix of teams. Chicago. Chicago would love to, but I said this before the season. Chicago is not because they're too good. They have Taves. They have Kane. They're going to be too motivated to win. Anaheim is in that mix. Anaheim is terrible too. But for Columbus... These injuries are a sign from God, if you believe in God, and I don't, that it's time, it's, your season is, is hell. You're not going to win anything. You're, you're, you're not making the playoffs. You have nothing to play for. And if you finish sixth last, why? Finish last. Get last so that you can get Connor Bedard and you could potentially change your franchise. Getting Rick Nash did not change the franchise for Columbus. He did win a Rocket Richard. He did give them some notoriety, and he does work on their front office. So in a way, it did. He wasn't as good as people thought he was. I think people thought Rick Nash was going to be Eric Lindros 2.0. It didn't turn out to be that kind of a player. Wasn't as motivated as Lindros, I'd say. Wasn't just as powerful. But you take your chances with a generational talent like Connor Bedard. You grab them, you scoop them up in your organization, and you try to breed a superstar around the youngsters that you have. 
This was a sign that it's time to just embrace the tank. And for guys like Johnny Gaudreau and those guys, Johnny Gaudreau signed a seven-year deal in Columbus. You got six after this one. Do you want them to be competitive at all, ever? Or you just go there because they actually they didn't offer you the most money because Calgary did, but you wanted to be close but not close enough to, from your family to just play golf at Jack's course, the Memorial, and what else? Ben Murray's, who will join me on Thursday, is a Columbus Blue Jacket fan. I'm curious his take on this. He loves all his sports. He loves his Patriots. He loves his Blue Jackets. I want his take on if he's willing to embrace the tank, embrace the rest of the season being completely crap for the potential, for the option to get a Connor Bedard in next year's draft. I'll tell you, do it. Columbus, you need a, a lift. You need something. You need something to spark your team, to give you some sort of identity, because you don't have one right now. You have Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine with no centermen to play between them. You have Zach Orensky, who's great. Hopefully Blankenberg, who I love, can develop. You don't have a goalie set up long-term. You have nothing set up. It's a franchise going nowhere fast, as I mentioned earlier. Van, Columbus, Arizona, Anaheim. Those are the four teams for me. Only one in the East. That helps. That help that helps Columbus because you're gonna have to run into each other out west. You have to play. Somebody's gonna win those games. San Jose, San Jose's winning too much with their veterans. Chicago's winning too much with their veterans. They're gonna play their way out of the tank. But Columbus, when you see this come on your doorstep, you embrace it. Also, kudos to Montreal. They're playing good hockey right now. Nick Suzuki's playing out of his mind. Cole Caulfield's playing great. Kirby Dock is playing really good hockey. Montreal won't be a playoff team, but I, I give them full credit for what they're doing. Playing hard, beating Pittsburgh, coming back on Saturday night, showing some perseverance. Every night, they're giving their opponent a tough out, and I give them full marks for doing that. Every night, it's a tough out. There's no game where Montreal just mails it in like they did last year and they lose 7-2. Suzuki, Caulfield, these guys, Josh Anderson, the defense core is better. Jake Allen, and I mentioned Samuel Montembaum last week, is playing better hockey. So kudos to this group for playing good hockey night in, night out. Tomorrow, Seamus will join later in the shows he did last week. We will talk about his lease, Matt Murray returning. We'll get into uh, tonight's games. Talk about the Calgary Flames a little bit. Tomorrow we will do a NHL top five. Top five teams in the National Hockey League right now at this point of the season. So that will be on tap tomorrow. We'll also talk some NBA. Seamus, when he joins, we talk NBA. Talk about Sacramento Kings. They're now 500. Stoked about that. Stoked about the Sacramento Kings being 500. Six and six. Got them on a futures bet. 
Tomorrow we'll do our, our top five. We'll talk some hockey and we'll talk hoops in particular. I do want to talk about his Celtics because they're on fire and Jason Tatum's playing like an MVP. I want to chat with him about the Utah Jazz who are playing great basketball. And just some, you know, Brooklyn playing particularly well without Kyrie Irving. What does he make of that? And where does Brooklyn go from here? Uh, if they welcome Kyrie back, how do they do that? How do they go about it? So we'll do that. We'll talk some hockey. We'll recap Monday Night Football tomorrow as well. Commies, Eagles. Talk some UFC. They can get to today. But we will tomorrow with Sheamus. Talk Izzy. Talk next matchups for some of the winners and losers last night. And I'll even talk in college football if we find the time. If we don't, we'll talk Wednesday about college football and what happened this weekend. So we'll be back tomorrow, same time as today. Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Please follow us, like us, subscribe on social media. And until then, we'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm your host, Noah Warren. This is To The Point.